All right, I'm gonna bring us back together. It is uh, good to see y'all here. Uh, I think I know everyone in here. If there's any visitors online, uh, my name's Robert Schell. Uh, I have the opportunity here to preach here and there, which is good news, whether you're ongoing our visitors, that if you're like, who's this guy? I don't preach that often. And if you're like, oh, who's this guy? I do preach here and there. So it's kind of a win-win regardless of whatever trajectory you are on with that. Um, so it's good to be able to be with y'all this morning. I just want to give a little overview of what we're in the midst of since we just started it last week. Uh, we, uh, um, during the summer, have been doing this thing where we take questions from you uh, during the early part of the year and then put a summer, summer, let's see, I can't, summer sermon series, summer sermon series together um, to do this. Uh, our normal rhythm, as most of y'all know, um, if you're visiting online, uh, is to go through books of the Bible. And so we'll pick that back up again in the fall, um, continuing our very self-explanatory trip through the book of Revelation uh, um, and uh, have fun uh, doing that. So uh, ask anything uh, series. Uh, we uh, Today, we're going to talk about this question. I'm going to introduce this question. I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to dive into it. So uh, our question for today uh, is this. Uh, let me read it here. Uh, today's question. Mental health, especially loneliness and depression, seems so rampant these days. What does the Bible have to say about how we should handle our own mental health, mental health struggles, as well as how we should love and serve those in our lives that struggle? How can we encourage ourselves and others who may feel depressed or lonely without diminishing their struggle? And what verses can we utilize to battle mental health struggles? Let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive into how we're going to break this down. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for this community, uh, for this um, just group that's willing to walk through and dive into different dynamics and conversations. Uh, Lord, I just pray uh, for this morning that uh, you bring up, um, you, you keep whatever is helpful and you uh, put away whatever is unhelpful in this time. Uh, and just uh, that this would be a time that as we think out loud together, as we pray together, as we learn together, to how to care well for one another uh, and those in our lives and world and for ourselves, um, that this time would be glorifying and honoring to you. Uh, and again, let, let what is helpful sit, uh, let what is unhelpful uh, go away. Uh, in these words, in your name, amen. All right, so um, if you have ever had the opportunity to have deep conversations with me, you know I like to preface a lot of things uh, because life is just complicated. <laughs> like, it's just not simple. And so there's always gonna be exceptions to things. There's always gonna be unique things. So I just wanna be really clear when we kick off in this question. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm not doing. Uh, I am not pretending to be a counselor. I am not one. If you ever want to talk about mental health and depression with me, I am happy to do so. I have training, I have experience, but I am very clearly not a counselor. Um, I have great friends who are counselors. I have great resources who are counselors. I have friends who are pastors who have further counseling training um, outside of a seminary experience, um, have a lot of resources, a lot of networks, but I am not a counselor, and you will not hear me pretend to be one. Uh, I am not speaking about everything under the umbrella of mental health. Uh, this is a large question. There is a lot of large different dynamics within mental health. Um, you have deep medical diagnoses. Um, what my good friend who walks through bipolar has to deal with um, versus what I deal with on a regular, um, it's still very intense, but on depression um, are very different things. They're both very important. Um, they're both our own struggles. Um, I'm not comparing and contrasting, just saying that they need different things at different times. Um, same thing with life happenings. 
Um, there are deaths in family. There are deaths of loved ones. There are sicknesses. There are marriage disruptions. There are parenting disruptions. There's disruptions with being parented um, that cause things that need to be worked through, that healing needs to be found, that can spark and manifest to depression. Um, there's trauma. Um, myself, others, some of y'all have very traumatic experiences in your life that have rewired and unwired your brain um, that need um, help, that need conversation, that need intervention on a variety of different levels. And so I'm not going to be able to speak to everything. And I'm not saying that all mental health care needs the exact same approach that needs to happen. I do think there's universal things we can talk about, but how that plays out, we need to be, we need to be aware that um, different things are happening, um, different interventions um, meet different impacts. I'm also not saying I have all the answers, which again, if you've ever had deep conversation with me, should just go for itself that I, I don't have all the answers. This is a battle I wake up still every morning fighting um, with better tools and resources, but still very much a fight. Uh, things that I am doing though, um, I am sharing out of my pastoral training, um, out of my pastoral care training from seminary, out of my pastoral care training through the various um, ministry roles that I've had, and out of a deep care and compassion towards the depression and suicide epidemic that we are facing as a society. I am also sharing out of my personal experience of being routinely bombarded by depression and suicidal ideation since elementary school. So just a little bit about that um, before we dive in into this is that me, myself, having a long history of depression, um, I've been in and out of counseling since I was nine-ish, 10-ish, um, somewhere in there. Um, so long history of counseling, long history of medical inter intervention. Um, I've checked off the list of being a hotline caller and ER visitor. Uh, and thankfully to some amazing doctors, I am a suicide attempt survivor as well. So though these are experiences are in the past, the reality of depression as it ebbs and flows is still a very ever-present reality. This is in no ways meant to make this sermon about me or to have this like, oh, Robert, I'm sorry. It literally is just to say that when I say depression sucks, I get it. <laughs> it sucks. Um, I don't necessarily get your personal story, but the frameworks around that, I get. Um, I get that it sucks. I get that you don't choose it. I get that you would let go of it if you could. It is heavy. And so what I wanna do is break down this question. Uh, it was a larger question um, with a handful of parts and I want us to try to tackle uh, in the time we have each of these pieces. And so this first part of it, mental health, especially loneliness and depression seems so rampant these days. Uh, and so I want us to direct us to this quote here to kind of set the foundation uh, for our morning. Uh, Henry Nouwen is a Catholic theologian and spiritual writer. Uh, he's been passed away for a while now. Um, someone who's been very influential uh, in my life, um, just the way that he talks about internal struggles, holistic healing, prayer, uh, and the spiritual life. Um, and so this is from 1979. This is not a recent quote. Um, Henry Nouwen writes that you do not have to be a great prophet to say that coming decades will most likely see not only more wars, more hunger, and more oppression, but a desperate attempt to escape them all. We have to be prepared for a period in which suicide will be as widespread as drugs. So Henry Nouwen's writing this in 1979. And as we continue on with this morning, we'll see that this, this area of care, this area of focus, this area of awareness and conversation is really important, is really relevant for us today as we care for one another, as we are a church in our community, um, and as we love one another. 
So a little bit more about this question um, statistically before we dive into some more things is um, in April 2020, um, the CDC did a briefing um, where they were able to study the years of 1998 through 2018. Uh, and obviously with stats and study, you have to wait a few years out before you actually have hard numbers and understanding of them. So uh, we don't have hard numbers, so I'll speak to this in a little bit about where we are right now. But from 1999 through 2018, the suicide rate increased by 35% within the United States. Um, within that time, uh, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death for all ages in the United States. Uh, second leading cause of death, 10 to 34, and fourth leading 35 through 54. And all stats that are seen right now, obviously, again, to be able to do a briefing and do a report, um, you need to be able to be a little bit out. Um, but this is only increased in the midst of the pandemic, as you can imagine, with isolation, uh, with job losses, with conflict within family and friends, um, within a lot of different um, family disruptions. Um, actually, just last week, I didn't put it in here because I just saw it when um, I was looking up some other information. Uh, CDC did another briefing where they have seen um, there's been a 50% increase in ER visits with adolescent females um, in the midst of the pandemic related to both um, depression and suicidal ideation. And so when we say epidemic, we don't use this term loosely. <laughs> um, this is a very real thing. This is not this is not something that is a casual reality in our world. Um, and so when we think about they seem more rampant, it is because it is more rampant. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons we can dive into that for it, but it is um, an ever-present reality right now. Outside of stats, um, just to take this first part of the question, um, and we'll dive into the other parts. I do want to address one of the things that I do, I have experienced and others have shared with me about making it more rampant is we are in the we have been in the season for a while. Um, I think it's maybe 15, 16, 17 years. And I think it's really increased probably in the last five to 10 years that we are finally breaking stigmas of conversations culturally and within society that it's okay to talk about mental health. It's okay to talk about depression. Uh, it's okay to talk about a variety of things, which is really, you've probably heard this phrase. Um, I've heard this phrase. I've used this phrase. I have a button with this phrase on it um, that it's okay to not be okay. And first off, before I say anything else, and before you think you hear me say anything else, I want to just be very clear that this is absolutely true. It is okay to not be okay. It's very much okay to not be okay. It is an important thing, and it's especially even more important because oftentimes movements start because they're responding to something that has been hugely ignored, and not just ignored, actively silenced. And so it's one thing to just ignore something that's problematic in itself. It's one thing when you actively work against something. And so this response of it's okay to not be okay has had to respond to this massive push of, oh, don't talk about this here. Oh, you can't talk about this here. Or no, it's that, you know, maybe just have more faith or do this or that. Reality is it's okay to not be okay. And especially after, for a lot, a lot of, I think we all are being able to see uh, the underpinnings of that. And in reality, even though it does appear to be more rampant, and statistically it is more rampant, um, I do want to note when we talk about this cultural moment, this rising, this more that it's okay to talk about this, it's okay to not be okay. Um, I want us to also be aware of the fact that there is evidence to show that while, yes, depression and suicide is on the rise, the ability to actually talk about it can make it seem like it's everywhere when it's always been everywhere. Um, and so there's a sense that there are a lot of increases. There's reasons for that. There's reasons that we need to talk about. There's reasons that we need to care about. 
but compared to previous generations where it was very present, but with no ability to speak about it. Um, many of you probably had that experience of, oh, you know how he gets, or oh, you know, mom or dad just need their space, or oh, that's just how so-and-so gets. A lot of those situations is talking about this, but it just wasn't okay to talk about this. Um, there wasn't space for it. There weren't the same resources for it. But one of the things that I do want to touch on this is this idea that it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely 100% true. But here's the deal. I want to keep working on being more okay than I was the other day. I want to keep doing that. And that's going to look different for each of you. But one of the things um, when I was in seminary and I was going through a really nasty stretch um, of depression, um, we, th this movement was really picking up steam. It was really, and I kept hearing from everyone, hey, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be not okay. I'm like, yeah, but I really don't want to be sitting with my phone and the hotline pulled up every single night. Like, I just don't want to be. <laughs> I know it's okay to not be okay, but I also want to move onward. I want to be able to keep working on it. I don't want to ignore it. I want to engage with it. And so I just want us to be aware with this, but then what? And that pacing is going to look different. What that pacing might look like for me with a decade plus of counseling under my belt, it might be look different for someone who's just kicking off that journey. It's gonna look different for someone who has a larger medical diagnosis that they're dealing with. Uh, and so I'm not trying to say that this is just a simple but then what, but eventually as we are in relationship with people, as we're working with them, just figuring out what does it look like to keep going down this road, not ignoring this road or dismissing it, but to be able to keep going down it. Because eventually it's just like, yeah, I know it's okay. But it's because it's okay, I want to keep working on it. I want to be able to keep uh, being able to press into it. And so our conversation is increased, which is a beautiful and a good thing. But especially in the era of social media, especially in the era of influencers, um, especially in all these things, we can kind of make this thing more of a niche marketing thing than it is actually something that is holistic and real. And we'll get into this a little bit, but that's why the church has such an important role in this conversation and in this work. Uh, so that's just a little bit that's more of like the more of the statistical things heading into it. And I, I just want to continue breaking down this question um, and being able to touch on things. So what does the Bible have to say about how we should handle our own mental health struggles as well as how we should love and serve those in our lives that struggle? Again, really big question and really good question. And there's a million different ways we could go. Honestly, this whole sermon is like 20 sermon series. So I just I want to be clear with that. But here's the deal. Um, what does the Bible say? Through scripture, we don't always love this, but through scripture, we see the prophets and the psalmists cry out in loneliness, anguish, and pain. It's all there, right in front. We see them. The prophets and the psalmists cry out loneliness, anguish, and pain. We see the garrison demoniac. We see Jesus literally sweat blood in the garden because of the heaviness he's carrying as he prays. Jesus literally sweating blood and anguish in prayer. We see the disciples lock themselves away in fear and anxiety and stress and unknown. Um, and as their life comes crashing down after Jesus's crucifixion and burial, they don't know what's going on. Their whole life has been disrupted. They lock themselves away. They don't know how to fit. Like, I don't know, honestly, if it was nowadays, they're probably like, the disciples would get that Netflix, are you still watching message, right? Like, because they're not going out. They're not doing anything. Their whole world has come crashing down. We see the apostle Paul not just speak to, but literally write, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Emotional, spiritual, mental anguish 
is through scripture. Despite how much the church, and I, I, I get the church gets a bad rap on a lot of things. Society has done this as a whole. And unfortunately, the way the church mirrors society, sometimes the church does a lot of things society does. But we can have a lot of critical conversation about this, but a lot of segments of the American church has historically tried to ignore it. That mental, emotional, and spiritual anguish, even though it is ever present throughout scripture, and not just present in scripture, but in those that we call heroes of the faith. It is there, it is present, the struggle, this anguish is there. And so within this question, I want to be really clear about something that, um, that scripture is not against you in the fight against loneliness and depression. It stands with you. It's not against you in the fight against loneliness and depression. It stands with you. It is not passive or dismissive. And that's another thing. Oh, sure, it speaks to it. It mentions it. But really, it's not passive. And it's not dismissive. Like, if your first response here is like, oh, hey, I'm really struggling about this. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, like, God is good. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Apostle Paul spoke about God's goodness. The psalmist spoke about God's goodness. The prophets spoke about God's goodness. They also spoke about their loneliness and anguish and pain in that framework. And so it's not passive. It's not dismissive. But it is actively with you. It is actively with you and for you and stands in the gap for you and with you. So in that, and um, for a good segment of our time here, I want us to look at Psalm 42 uh, for a little bit. I'm going to read through this, and I just want to do a brief look and pull out a couple pieces for us to talk about in light of this question about this part of the question about how, you know, the Bible talks about our own mental health struggle. So let me read this uh, and then... Um, share a little bit about a handful of these verses. Uh, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for shall I again praise him, my salvation, and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. And so within these, I want to pull out a couple things that I think is relevant to what we have been talking about in this question of what does the Bible have to say within here. Um, verse three, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So we talked about earlier, the psalmist is completely open with the hardship and the um, and the anguish and the heaviness and what he is being taunted with, whether it's from enemies um, outside, whether it's from enemies within, that there is this heaviness, that there is this 
ever-present reality to the point that these have been my food, my day and night. And I love this notion that these, this, in verse four here, that these things I remember as I pour out my soul. That what he is talking about within this, within this psalm about who God is, about the heaviness of the time, the heaviest of the life, it's not an either or, it's a both and. There is a remember and there is a pouring out. There is a remember and there is a pouring out. It is not just like, okay, great, God is good. Now there isn't all this other stuff. This as I am pouring out, I am also trying to remember here. I am working towards being remembering and I am seeking out to be reminded. In verse 11 here, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As the psalmist continues on, just being able to again realize like, okay, what, what is going on here? Uh, this internal reflection, this awareness of where he's at, and even this notion of your hope in God. And I love this combination of hope in God, for I shall again praise him and my salvation, my God. And it's not perfectly clear here. It's like, okay, hope in God. Now everything is all right. It's hoping God, because I know, <laughs> I know, I know through these experiences, I know through this testimony, I knew, I know through God's faithfulness that I'm going to keep reminding myself in this while I am cast down, while my soul is cast down, while I'm in turmoil, while I pour out. I'm not going to be dismissive. I'm not going to be passive with it. I'm going to be, I'm going to declare it. I'm going to scream it. I'm going to yell it. I have every once in a while certain psalmists, um, as some of y'all will know, I have an affinity and love for hardcore music. Uh, and every once in a while, I think David could have made it, even though he had the harp, maybe he could like tune the harp to throw a hardcore breakdown down. And I could just hear him screaming these, right? Screaming them, crying them out. This is all present. This is all allowed. This is all part of life. So Psalm 42, I think it's helpful here to see this breakdown throughout, to see the turmoil, to see the anguish. Um, to see the pouring out, to being reminded of who God is, even as you don't know how again, but know that again, you will praise. Um, one of the things that I want to just say as we keep breaking down this question and looking at it in these different sections, um, and this next part, especially here, with how can we encourage ourselves and others who may feel depressed or lonely without diminishing their struggle? This, um, this comment is going to be very point blank and blunt, but it is not meant to be a debate about how our society should function because it's not unique to our society. There's many societies um, like this, um, but our society, like many others, is not structured for holistic healing to flourish. It just, it just isn't. The almighty dollar, the job, insurance, time off, building up time off, childcare, kids, needing to get away, needing to take care of yourself, needing to find healing, um, bills, job, all of these pieces. It's not unique to just us. But I was talking to my counselor a few, uh, few weeks ago as I'm in the midst of a job transition, largely because of, of, of mental health realities. Um, and he just, he, I just, it just struck me so much. He was just like, yeah, this just isn't structured to actually be able to get away and take care of yourself <laughs> um, as a family, as a couple, as an individual. And which is why it's so important, like I referenced earlier, that the church has a huge role uh, in not only bringing awareness and advocacy to these conversations, um, but being able to bring care, uh, care and compassion and concern into these worlds and to those who are dealing with 
them. And so um, this next part of the question talks about how can we encourage ourselves and others who may feel depressed or lonely without diminishing their struggle? Um, some of these things you are gonna think are really basic, um, but I wanna just talk about how important they actually are. And it was actually a good setup that Kevin talked about prayer in this intro time. And so as we think about um, I want to talk to two different um, groups here. I want to talk first, we're going to talk about to the church who's doing the caring and the individuals, and then those who are uh, in a space of struggling at any various levels. Um, to the church who's doing the caring, pray. And not just in a, oh, we're Christians, we pray way, or how can I pray for you? You remember that Henry Nouwen quote from earlier from 1979, where we are here in 1999 to 2018, actively pray. Not just when stuff hits the fan, but before things hit the fan. Pray. Pray actively. Pray ahead of time. Pray ongoing. And I know there's, there's a handful of theological traditions represented here. Um, and in conversation, things like that, I know the idea of healing and prayer have a lot of different places in conversations they take. I get that. I've sat with people. I've experienced it. I've been through it um, on different levels. I've been angry towards it. I've been hopeful towards it. Um, but one of the things that I think is universally agreed on within all those trajectories is that Jesus continuously sent his disciples out to declare his name over all sickness and death. There was death, there was loss, there was life, there was grief, there was celebration. And Jesus still sent his disciples out to declare his name over it all. And so let's pray. Let us actively and aggressively pray um, for those who are struggling, um, for those who might be struggling, for our church, for how we deal with it, for our society, for our world. Um, pray. And in that prayer, and as we, as we structure, as we do things, make space. Make space for this to be normalized. Make space for this to actually create a culture and environment where someone can say, hey, this is what's going on. Um, that, that we know that this can be talked about, that we can know that we can dynamics, make space just for fun and ridiculous and craziness. I'm one of those annoying people that it's really hard to interact with me without getting in a really deep existential conversation. And that's a really big double-edged sword. I really enjoy that, but it's not always the healthiest for me. And so by make space, I don't always just mean make space to have these conversations. I mean, make space to be, be reminded and remind people not only of who God is, but then what the community that God creates, that flourishing, that fun, that excitement, make space to be able to see that this life is a life that when, the, when God creates a church and God calls a church out, that it's meant to be able to be with and for one another. Make space that is, dealt, um, that is celebrated, that, that is focused on. Uh, know your limits and resources. Uh, this is really, really important to know your limits and resources. Um, as I said earlier, when I started talking about, I'm not a counselor. I have, I have some pastoral care training. I have some triage experiences, but I know when I'm out and when I'm done and I can't do it. I also know that when I'm really depressed, it's not the best time to really care for others with depression. <laughs> and so know your limits and know your resources. Uh, one of the things that the church is often really great at is the church is really great in crisis. It becomes a struggle when it's year one, year two, year three, and it's still an ongoing chronic reality. I have failed at ongoing care. I've been the recipient of that. And it's not, it, that's why it's a community. It's not an individual. 
things. So know your limits and your resources. Um, I'm a firm believer. Uh, I don't want to respect where everyone is at on this. I'm a firm believer that God answers prayer through miracles. And I'm a firm believer that God called Shane, my counselor, to go to school to be able to do what he does. I think both of those things are true. I'm a firm believer that God called doctors to go to school to be doctors. Uh, and so utilize the resources that are out there, not just one or the other holistically um, within that and know your limits and be able to resource, resource people um, with your team. And one thing um, before I go on to these last few bits, um, all these things, the pray that makes space, know your limits and resources is not just for the one struggling. If that person is married, if that person has kids, pray for them and care for them. Provide space for them. Resource them within that because it's not fun to deal with this. <laughs> it's exhausting to deal with this and it's really hard to deal with this. And it has many different outcomes for many different reasons. And so all of these things is not just for the one that's struggling, but for the spouse and for the kids of the one who's struggling as well. So that's a little bit on that, but it's also then to those who are struggling. I know if you're struggling right now, because I've done it myself, you're gonna roll your eyes at this first one. You might even wanna hold up a specific finger to me when I say it, because I've done it, right? Pray and let others pray for you. It doesn't matter. We see these examples through scripture. Prayer doesn't have to be pretty. Prayer can be yelling, prayer can be crying, prayer can be grieving, prayer can be everything. And let others pray for you. Just as we talked about, I know we have different trajectories of formation. Um, the last seven years of my life, I would have never imagined I would spend a lot of time in a very charismatic world. But I have. And even though it was super uncomfortable, and even though the first time someone did it to me, I hit their hand away because I didn't know what they were doing. I'm like, why are you touching me? And they're like, I just want to lay hands on you. It happens in the Bible. It's okay. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, I guess so. This is pre-COVID, right? So I was one of the few people at work who appreciated COVID because I'm like, okay, no one's going to touch me. It's all right. But here's the deal. And I can laugh about this. I can joke about this. There's going to be times that I have, and there'll be times again that I roll my eyes at this. But let others pray for you. Honestly, the main times I've experienced any sort of real breakthrough in this battle of depression is when I've let others pray for me and just break down and be open with how hard it is. One of my friends, Grace, who's a dynamic pastor that I worked with for a long time, I was in a staff meeting and I was just, it was done. It was over. I couldn't, I'm just like, this is where it's at. Uh, her and a couple other friends laid hands and prayed. And honestly, it was like the best next three months that I had life. And just let people pray for you. There's times that people have prayed for me and it's been the worst three months afterwards. Let people pray for you. Let people pray for you. Let them lay hands on you. Let them stand in the gap for you. I heard this story all, all through uh, my time in school um, because of my, my battle of depression about this professor who had came to his colleagues and said, hey, I can't do this anymore. And all of his colleagues, like, every Tuesday morning, we are praying for you. And if you can't pray, we're praying with you and for you. When I got to Luther, I actually found out it was about a professor at Luther um, when I heard that story again. And I just felt like that was a really just amazing. Let others stand in the gap for you. It's hard, it's frustrating, it sucks, but it's beautiful. Um, receive space made, make space if able. And I, 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 I wanna break those two up because it's really hard to make space when you don't feel like you can even make space to keep going. <laughs> 
Um, if you're able, great. You know, we, we take these things so seriously sometimes that we don't forget the fact that like, it's actually okay to go do fun things. Is It might not be good to get the Netflix warning of, are you still watching like, like five times? But like, go ahead and throw in that episode of Star Trek. Or if you're not as big of a dork as me, you know, something else that is relevant and good for you. Like make space to be able to just breathe and receive the space made. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. You might not want to go, but just go and be, let things receive the space that's made for you. And just like I said, to those that are doing the caring, if you are struggling, know your limits, get help. There is no weakness in this. And there's gonna be many different outcomes for this. I know many of you have different stories of different outcomes for different reasons and different, uh, different varieties. And it's not easy. This is not a weakness or a lack of faith. Like I said earlier, I'm a firm believer that God answers prayers through miracles and God answers prayers for those he had called to go get specific training, um, to be able to create space, to be able to help walk you through that. And so get know your limits, get help. I have the hotline in my phone. Um, thankfully, it's been a while since I've had to use it, but I don't know, it's a great resource. There's great volunteers. Um, be able to like build a, build, um, a resource of those that you can connect with. Um, no, no, there, any, any stress or frustration that comes from going to the hospital or calling your friend is really better than any stress or frustration that's going to come with the million other ways that this can go. Um, yeah, so know your limits and get help. Um, last thing as we come to a close here, um, this last part of the question is on um, what verses can we utilize to battle mental health struggles? And I actually want to trans transition us in to our gospel application um, to be able to answer this question. One of the things that y'all are familiar with and aware that we do here is instead of giving you go the here's this list of to do's, let's be reminded of who God is and what God has done. Um, gospel application. I want to talk about the ministry of reminding and being reminded. You've heard Kevin say this before. You've heard this same before. I have this friend who um, is the head of uh, a denomination of Lutherans um, that I've worked with for the last seven years. He actually believes his whole call to ministry is just the ministry of reminding. Um, that's all he is called to do. And it's about um, God's faithfulness and who you are in Christ. He just That's just all I'm called to do is those two things. Um, to be able to help people see that. And so this gospel application of ministry of reminding and being reminded, and there's two things that I want to focus on within this. Um, the first one being remembering God's faithfulness. That we, that we, as we walk through, as we care, as we are the ones that struggle, um, if it, just to remember, and not just you actively having the responsibility of remembering, but reminding others of God's faithfulness. Um, one of the things that um, Matt Haig, who is a, actually primarily a fiction author, but he writes, he's a secular author. I'm not fully endorsing or recommending all of this stuff. I just want to build off one thing that he does. Primarily writes fiction. Um, he has this book called Reasons to Stay Alive. Um, and I think one of the crazy things about God is even if it's not always the ideal thing that sometimes God meets you reading something that you're like, oh, cool. This is really, really great. One of the things that he talks about in that book is banking bad days. It's not a new idea to him. But it's this notion that, oh, I've made it through every previous worst day. <laughs> like, thank these bad days. Remember them when you come up in a good one. And I kind of want to twist that a little bit for this. Uh, I think that can be helpful for some people. It's been helpful for me. Um, it doesn't make it any more fun, but it's a good remember. Um, for the purpose of this, one of the things I've been thinking and praying about leading up into this is this notion of banking God's faithfulness. Being able to remind yourself where you have seen God's faithfulness. 
where you have seen it come through time and time again, not just in your own life, not just in the life in the church, but in the life of scripture. Read the stories of God's faithfulness that give the full story because it's not all roses. We might want to send you to the last verse where everything works out. And even when it doesn't work out, even when there's death and loss, um, there's ones that end in celebration. There's ones that end in death and loss. There's one that, but they continue to show this arc of God's faithfulness. So read those stories. Read them. There's so many examples. One of the ones that I love so much is when the disciples are locked away after um, the crucifixion and after the burial of Jesus. They're locked away. They're fear. Not even all of them are there. They don't even know where their friends are. They don't know what's going on. And what does Jesus do? Um, if you're familiar with the story, if you heard it talk about the door is locked, Jesus breaks through. And what's the first thing that he says? He says, peace be with you. He breathes on them. Please don't go breathe on people though. But like, peace be with you. He breathes on them and he says, peace be with you. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't like throw down on them. He says, peace be with you. So read those stories of God's faithfulness. Um, a couple other examples, lamentations. I love that even in a book that is named lament, like this whole book is about lament. And in chapter three, uh, verse 22, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope him. There's some mornings that I'm like, you know what? Depression is new every morning. And so are the Lord's mercies new every morning. And so being able to see that even in a book of lament, <laughs> there is space and time for this without dismissing all the other chapters of lament. Um, Psalm 91 speaks of God's faithfulness as a shield. Romans 8 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember God's faithfulness. Let others remind you. Ask people to remind you of God's faithfulness if you can't remember it for yourself. Um, remember God's faithfulness. And the second one and our last one for our gospel application is who we are in Christ. Remembering who we are in Christ, letting others remind you. I'm not going to do it because of time, but I just, one of my favorite weird things to read in scripture is Paul's intros to scripture, just that beginning part of chapter one. I think a lot of people skip over it, but I love that no matter what he is talking about, whether it's good, whether it's hard, whether it's uncomfortable, he's always like, I thank God for you. And we are together in this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it just we are in Christ, and as we journey through this, we get to be able to remind ourselves. I'm not saying that makes it easy. I'm saying that we need that reminder. That we need to remind ourselves from it. Romans five eight that even that God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing we can do to earn that love. That love is there. That identity in Christ is there. We get to remind people of that. Um, first John talks about, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are not because, oh, then you did all these things. And now you are. And so we are because God says that, Hey, you're my children. Be reminded of that. Remind others of that. And one of my favorite ones, John, um, especially this last year, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It doesn't say stop struggling, <laughs> I have overcome the world. Take heart in the midst. Take heart in the moment. Take heart before, take heart in after. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Both stories of God's faithfulness and who we are in Christ are repeated throughout Scripture. Scripture knows we need to hear this more than once. 
It isn't just on one page. It is throughout. We need to continually be reminded of and hear testimonies shared. Share your stories. Share your testimony of God's faithfulness and identity in Christ. If I roll your eyes at you a million times, somewhere deep down, I am grateful for it. And I will then be able to remember that later on down. Again, scripture is not against you for your fight against loneliness and depression. It stands with you. It is not passive or dismissive, but actively with you and for you.